You're listening to Resurrection Life Podcast with your hosts, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about the Synod on Synodality. We hear a reflection on how to get to heaven, and we listen to a poem which Brian Fink recited at the recent Parish Whitson event. The poem is called Fixing. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. This is your host, Richard Budd, and with me as always... Father Steve. How you been, Father? I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah? yeah. You breathing this air? Yeah, this uh, toxic sludge <laughs> floating through our area, yeah. You know, I was in Houston this past weekend when I was flying from Houston to Chicago, and as we were landing, we were below the clouds, but we still could not see the ground. Yeah. That's how thick it was. Yeah, there was... Uh, I, I can't remember if it was... Uh, Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, it just seemed thicker and more dense, and I smelled it more than I, I have in subsequent days. We're recording this on June 30th. Uh, we had a challenge uh, getting together, and uh, I had some allergy issues, so we weren't able to release the podcast in our normal sequence, and uh, you're going to be celebrating Bud Fest. Bud next, Fest. Yeah, yeah. And maybe talk a little bit about Bud Fest. All right. So my wife and I got married on July 4th. And at the time, we thought that was a great idea because everybody had work off anyway. So they could. So you gave up independence on independence. <laughs> exactly. All right. There you go. <laughs> so everybody had their vacation already. So no one had to take time off of work to come to our wedding. And. Uh, but we subsequently found out that this is a horrible time to have your wedding because you can never really celebrate your anniversary on your anniversary. Um, not only are places closed, but people are, but people are, are blowing off fireworks all, oh yeah. for you. Everybody's celebrating. It's wonderful. <laughs> There's fireworks for our anniversary every year. Um, but anyway, so in kind of the midst of uh, was it, two summers ago now, we we had a bit of a... A family crisis. We sold our home, but could not find another. Uh, and I so that. we were That's living right. with different people, and it was a it was a very difficult summer. For, there was a difficulty feeling positive, and so when the when our anniversary came around, I declared that it was Bud Fest, and we were going to celebrate our family because our anniversary is the founding of our family. That's right. And so uh, we we do. It's kind of a staycation. Uh, but we do uh, every day. We go to different parts of you know different activities around the area or the state, um, and uh, the kids uh, are. It is declared that the kids can have one of those icy pops uh, anytime they want one. Is that uh, right? Oh, during the entirety of uh, Bud the week? whole Bud Fest, yeah. Bud Fest? All right. So they look forward all year just for that. Um, and you know, it's uh, we just do different uh, activities, and we just spend time as, together as a family and. So, That's great. Yeah, right. well, it's beautiful. Uh, happy, which anniversary is this now? This Coming will be up? eight. Eight? Happy yeah. Eighth anniversary. That's good. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we're, um, we're recording this, as I said, on the 30th. We just celebrated the first martyrs, holy martyrs of, of Rome. And uh, yesterday we celebrated in the church the solemnity of St. Peter and Paul. And uh, it was just striking to me how the opening prayer just talks about the uh, the the true faith, um, right religion, and the power of 
Peter's confession, you are the Christ, son of the living God, and Paul's work in evangelizing and writing the majority of the New Testament. I mean, of one author, he, mm-hmm, yeah. he's got uh, the most books included. And uh, recently we had um, the working document for the synod on synodality came out. And I, I saw this as a certain kind of uh, irony uh, or providential coincidence. And we've been celebrating martyrs, John the Baptist, also St. John's Fisher and Thomas More, mm-hmm. these champions of morality and especially sexual morality. And I think it's, it's, it's well for us to talk a little bit about uh, the working document, not in depth and not in a textual analysis, but just to uh, talk about the fact that we recognize, you and I recognize, and I think many people recognize that there are some people in the church that seem to want to change the church's teachings. And uh, it's under the guise of synodality, walking with, and they had the consultation that happened and not that many people were involved in it. I, I, yeah, think, I think less uh, than one percent. Less than one. Them. I mean, we can say that's an amazing number, one sure. percent. But I think what you find as you look at the the kind of language that is in the instrument, uh, the working document, rather, um, it's similar to what has happened, say, in the Episcopal Church, where they have synods all the time, and mm-hmm. what happens in the synod, the the walking together, the dialogue, the discussion, the trusting of the spirit often seems to be opening ourselves to the spirit of the world more than Mm -hmm. the spirit, the Holy Spirit that we implore. Yeah. Yeah. Before we we got started, I, we were talking and I just said, you know, I'm all for, uh, the idea of, um, synodality, you know, listening, taking consultation, um, because if you're going to be a good leader, you need to understand the context of the people who you're leading. That's right. Um, and so for the magisterium to lead the church well, uh, for pastors to lead well, they need to know what's going on in the lives of their people. So the idea of synodality, I don't have a problem with. The synod, as it's been shaping up, has given me pause at times um, because it seems like everybody who's got a uh, a personal uh, project is kind of glomming onto this as their chance. Well, and it, it seems to me that even even within uh, you know uh, nations where the, the the church is relatively strong, the focus of the listening sessions were those who felt alienated, those who were on the margins or had wandered from the faith. And in the past. Um, you know, we, we certainly would be concerned about them, but we we wouldn't say that those who rejected the church's teaching should be listened to for what the church ought to be teaching. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the uh, there might be a, a sense of uncertainty and fear among faithful to say, why are we opening up some of these questions? And they can uh, the leaders of the the synod say this is not about church teaching, but it it bumps up against church teaching because the fact is people have left the church because they find the church's teaching difficult to mm-hmm. believe. Yeah. And we, it's my conviction that my job as pastor uh, is to hold on to the truth that's been handed on to me, just as Saint Peter and Saint Paul handed on the faith and. I just yesterday on the 29th, along with the other nine or the other eight men who have been named deans, uh, signed and made the oath of fidelity and uh, the creed, 
And what we said yesterday uh, is we're going to hold on to the truth that we've received mm-hmm. and not teach anything contrary to it. And I yeah. think there's there's some movements within the church to to get us to update with the spirit of the times. Yeah. Um, in the readings this past week, we heard St. Paul say, you know, be careful of false teachers. And, Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and when you've got, you know, when you've got bishops in the church who are advocating for the change of the church's teaching on things like homosexuality, um, uh, uh, fornication, uh, contraception, these types of things, you know, I, I think people, uh, you know, the ordinary Catholic who's doing their best to try to live the, the faith the way that they've been taught it, um, I, I don't think it's without reason to be a bit nervous, um, especially when you've got uh, the the cardinal who's in charge of the whole thing, uh, aside from the Pope, of course, uh, uh, Cardinal Hollerick, um, who's advocated himself for changing the church's teaching on certain aspects of well, morality? And, and I, I do think that, that these um, there's a lot of overlap with with what's going on in uh, the Western world uh, in terms of becoming more progressive and I would say even reckless in their embrace of um, gender ideology. And thankfully, the, the Holy Father has has made that a, a deep line of demarcation. Mm-hmm. He's been uh, very clear. Condemning about, about mm-hmm. gender ideology. But what the West would say is that everything LGBTQI plus two spirit, et cetera, is all of a piece. And uh, I think there are some, uh, James Martin, Father James Martin, a Jesuit who is pushing for the church to see this group as a community that's been disenfranchised and we need to include them more readily. Uh, I think there's there's a risk that we can seem to be following the the winds of, as I said earlier, repeatedly the spirit of the age rather than the Holy Spirit, who says, so were some of you, right? Mm-hmm. Talking about these, we can't allow these behaviors in the kingdom, mm-hmm. and uh, some would say we don't want a church that judges. Well, okay. I'm not called to judge, but I need to be able to make judgments. There are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. There are sins. There are some sins that are venial. There are some sins that are mortal. If we can't make those ascertainments, and, uh, you know, the Amoris Laetitiae and other reflections sometimes give the impression that just do the best you can. And this is the best you can do. And and if you're a man who is same-sex attracted, and the best you can do is is commit to another man in a we I'm not saying the synod is saying that but there are people within the church who are saying let's just love is love mm-hmm. well that's that's a sentimentality yeah. that is contrary to the faith that we've received yeah 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 so while this has not been explicitly taught by the holy father there are voices in the church absolutely that are that have a lot of influence and so you know there's the sexual morality but uh, there's also um, ideas of ecclesiology, like what is the church? What is the role of the laity in the church? You know, Vatican II said that the for the laity, their proper role was to evangelize the world. That's right. Their the role, universal call to holiness. So everybody <clears throat> is called for this, and we are an evangelizing church. And mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and so uh, there seems to be a lot of of push to make the laity part of the magisterium. And that's not the role that Christ gave the laity. Uh, you know, I, I think 
when we start to be as a, I'm speaking as a lay person, uh, as we start to be obsessed with whether or not I have power in the church, I forget my role to go out into the world and evangelize. Now, me personally, Rich Bud, I am kind of an aberration because I have a job in the church and my concern is with the governance of the church. But that's not, in general, what the laity are called to be doing. Um, and, and so, Yeah, that's right. And I, I think the fact that the rules have been changed for this synod mm-hmm. to allow, this is no longer a synod of bishops, but it is a synod largely of bishops, but then there's going to be 70 uh, lay men and women uh, some religious and uh, who will have voting rights uh, for the first time, yeah. and this can seem, as you're saying, it, I think the the people would say that this is a, a broader representation of the church. But what is the role of the ordained clergy? It is they've got the role, uh, the the ministry of governance. Yeah, like Saint Paul says, you know, the body has many parts. And the eye can't say to the foot, you know, I want to be a foot. Well, it feels like that's what's happening right now. You know, the lady are saying, well, I want to be a bishop. And it's like, well, it's not your job to be a bishop. That's right. You and, know, and we've had years of priests not wanting to be considered, you know, in any way separate from the laity. You know, don't, don't call me father or and these types of things. And it's like. No, you have to embrace your identity. You have to embrace your role so that the body can function in a healthy way. And there's no question that um, the church has been filled with uh, ministers, priests, bishops, uh, who have sought to serve themselves rather than Christ and and the, and the people of God. And we need to hear from the people of God and be responsive to them. But that doesn't mean that we would change the authority structure within the church to have it be uh, ruled by the, the laity. Sure. It's been established by Christ in this way for reasons that are beneficial to us. Yeah. So we have to believe if we're going to be faithful. Mm-hmm. So like by way of analogy, like if, I, if my son acts up at home and I'm going to discipline him, uh, I might discipline him in a, in, a, in a certain way, but then I find out, Oh, you know what? He was sick at uh, during the night. He didn't sleep well, and so he his behavior is is not going to be normal. Good behavior is going to be uh, not as expected. Well, then I might discipline him in a lighter way by understanding his context. That's right. Uh, the way I govern him is going to change, and so that's why I say synodality. I think is a good thing. We had to be the leaders of the church had to be able to understand the context and the and the the shape of the people's lives, but that doesn't mean that I let my son determine his own discipline. You know, let him govern. In, in, that, in other words, that, that's right. The um, you know I think that all of the discussions and this is my prayer and I'd invite the people of God to pray that they would be indeed guided by the Holy Spirit and that there would be a conviction that we are the recipients of a tradition that we are bound to hand on and we are called to strengthen our brothers and sisters in the faith and we do not have freedom to change fundamental teachings of the church the idea that women would be able to have access to holy orders. There was a time when women served as deaconesses when, um, I, I talk about this at, at baptism, that 
in the early church, the entire body was anointed and it would be unseemly for a man, mm-hmm. deacon or a priest or a bishop to anoint the body of uh, a young woman or a woman. Uh, and so the, the deaconesses would, would serve in that role, but they were never ordained. They did not have that same role or responsibility or position that a man who was a deacon or a priest or a bishop had. Sure, we had to understand that the word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos, which means servant. And so these were just people that were helping to serve the catechumens in their role of, of, right. of, of, the, of the sacrament. It doesn't mean that they were ordained ministers. That's right. Um, and so we just had to be clear about like, you know, certain words just existed and then they were then attached to these clerical roles uh, in the church. But that doesn't mean that like their broader definition. We, we've, we've talked about this before, but I remember Cardinal George of Happy Memory having a woman uh, from Future Church talk to him about her desire for the church to change its teaching about homosexuality to basically embrace the, the, the modern creed, love is love, and uh, you know, this is just the way they are and also to allow women to be ordained. And you may remember me sharing that he said to her, uh, the church you seek is not future, it's present. It just happens to be down the street. And Mm. you do not have a right to demand of the church of the ages that it would conform to your personal preferences. And Mm. I do think that we can see in especially the Anglican communion and the Episcopalian Church, cautionary tales, and also in the Methodist Church where they've been wrestling with should they around sexual morality. And it isn't, we, we keep talking about that because, not because the church is obsessed with sexuality, but that the world is obsessed with sexuality. And we see that all of this push for a, a throwing off of the strictures, the moral strictures and the expectations. And it's, it's, it's harming our society. But what happens when the when the Anglican Communion uh, ordains women uh, first as priests, then as bishops, and then foregoes uh, the commitment to uh, and and comes up with a blessing for uh, lay or uh, lesbian and or gay couples to get married, you've got a division within the church and the union becomes compromised. And I think that's a risk within mm-hmm. the, the Holy Roman Church as well. Although I'm confident that in the end, even if there is a split, even if there is a schism, that the Lord's truth will perdure. And that's my job is to hold on to it and to convey it to the people of God. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we've got things to, you know, be concerned about the whole deal with Germany and and, and whatnot. But there, I, I do think that, we we never have reason to abandon hope. Um, the, Christ promised that he would be with the church. We have the the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've got men like uh, Bishop Daniel Flores uh, from Brownsville, Texas, who is um, who's been leading the the synod work here in the United States. That's going to be uh, over there in the synod. He is a spectacular theologian and bishop. Um, yeah, I don't know much about him. That's great to hear. Yeah, he's great. He was uh, he was uh, he's a Thomist. He knows the the Summa, uh, Thomas Aquinas, um, and he was auxiliary bishop in Detroit when I was a seminarian there. Oh, I think I have met him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's great. Um, and uh, so he's been kind of uh, kind of overseeing the the work of the Senate here in the United States. Um, he is the head of the Bishop's Committee on Doctrine. And I don't know if you've been following 
that committee lately, but they've been putting out some really great uh, work, um, different doctrinal statements and stuff from the from the bishops. And so uh, I'm confident with men like him, with the bishops that are co- going to be participating from Africa um, and some uh, some of the Asian countries that um, you know uh, we can trust the Holy Spirit in the, in the Ab- work. Absolutely, and and. Uh, <clears throat> Should uh, the the sky seem to have fallen, uh, it hasn't. Yeah, right. Exactly. And uh, during the time of the Aryan controversy, after that was resolved, um, most of the bishops at that time, in retrospect, held what was deemed a heretical view. Yeah. And I think we're still working through the modernist mm-hmm. heresy. Mm-hmm. All of these agitations are really modernist in form. Yeah. So we may continue to wrestle with this, and but the Lord says, do not be afraid. I'm with you until the end of the age. And yeah. uh, what our job is as faithful and my job as a, as a priest is to hold to the truth. I listened to a podcast called Irreverent. It's uh, faithful Orthodox Anglican clergy in England who are teaching the truth in the face of a church that's lost mm-hmm. its way, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So even should that happen, we we're, our job is to be faithful and yeah. to pray. And not to mention the fact that God did not make either of us bishops or anybody likely listening to this. That's right. And so uh, he's given us, he's given me a family, he's given you a parish. If we get too distracted what's happening across the ocean, we start to neglect the gift, the the, the responsibility. Well, there's no question in. about it. So I I pay attention to it, but not in the yeah. way that I used to. Uh, it it goes back to that. What's my sphere of influence, and what's exactly. my sphere of concern? Mm-hmm. And so let let us invite each other and the people who might be listening or are listening uh, to actually pray and to entrust our future, the future of the church, to the one who is able to sustain it yeah. and has pledged that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's only one person that is keeping the church going and right. he said he won't leave us. So That's right. we don't need to worry about it. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. Uh, any last uh, thought, parting no, thoughts? Just have a, have a great bud fest. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you and your family. And uh, in these summer months, uh, I hope that you're taking some time with your family to celebrate and to be find rest and renewal uh, so that we can begin another, uh, we kind of time things along the school year, uh, just be be able to begin well in late August, early September. God bless you all. All right, God bless. When we undertake the spiritual life, we experience God as a loving father and Jesus as our Lord and Savior. In the following reflection from Sean O'Neill, we explore how we can gauge our progress toward our final destination in heaven. How to get to heaven There's a sort of honeymoon period that someone goes through when they have a deep encounter with the Lord, when they become aware of his loving presence in a powerful way. That initial experience can be life-changing and the effects of it can sustain someone for a lifetime. In the beginning of a relationship with the Lord, we often find great consolation in His presence. 
We may even experience manifestations of the Lord's presence. For example, you might hear words spoken to you by the Lord or by the Blessed Mother or by the saints or angels. You may even have visions that are given to you or very vivid pictures that come into your mind. Time you spend in prayer seems very fruitful and comforting. Scripture comes alive and seems to be directed at you personally. You find a growing love for those around you and you want to share the good news of salvation with them so that they too can experience the joy of coming alive in Christ. That's what often happens right at the beginning of a relationship with God. Time passes, however, and the bloom of your first encounter with the love of Jesus, God the Father and the Holy Spirit seems to wear off. You can then enter into a time of purification. God wants nothing more than that we spend eternity with him in heaven. But we can't get there without being purified of our sinful ways, our evil tendencies and our disordered attachments to the things of this world. And yet there are still moments and seasons of great comfort from the Lord as we grow in the life of faith and enter deeper into his love. There are three main attributes of God that attract us to him and make us want to delve more deeply into the mystery of his love, namely his goodness, his truth and his beauty. Of those three, often it's beauty that can capture us the most. When we walk into a beautiful church or cathedral and look at the glory of the architecture, our hearts may be lifted up. When we relish the power of a thunderstorm or contemplate the complex machinery of nature, we are awed by its perfection. When we listen to exquisite music, we sometimes feel as though we were being transported out of this present existence into a higher plane of being. Beauty has a way of getting past our rational defences and touching our very hearts. We may also be touched by the beauty of the words of the Gospels, the superb paradoxes of Jesus' teaching, for example, when he tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, or when he urges us to be humble like little children so that in due time we might be exalted or when he tells us not to seek vengeance against those who have hurt us, but instead to forgive them. All of this encapsulates the attraction of the way of life that Jesus wants us to follow so that we can get to heaven. There is a kind of beauty in the searing words of Scripture, and our hearts can be stirred with zeal for the kingdom of God and with an enthusiasm to see his reign extended throughout the world. However, there is a difference between admiring God's words and the beauty of his commands and actually carrying them out. There is a reason why Jesus in the Gospels spends so much time teaching us how to deal with each other, teaching us how to love one another. The reason is because it's not at all obvious to us and neither do we have the natural inclination to love our neighbour consistently and selflessly. We may experience great consolation in God's presence and relish reading scripture. We may feel inspired by the lives of the saints. We may be overwhelmed by the beauty of the Christian way of life. But if we are not loving our neighbour in real practical ways, 
our high sentiments and refined sense of the spiritual are in vain. In the letter of St. John, chapter 1, we see this quite plainly. He says this, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or a sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. It's a bit like the person who is interrupted during their prayer time and gets irritable and snaps at the person who interrupted them and then goes back to their prayers saying, Now, where was I, Lord? What gets us into heaven is not warm spiritual feelings and good intentions, but actually loving our neighbour as Jesus taught us. As Lorenzo Scupoli says in his book, Spiritual Combat, can anything be sadder and more foolish than to contemplate as in a mirror the virtues of the Lord, to be enamoured of them and to admire them, and then when an opportunity offers itself of exercising them, entirely to forget and neglect them. Similarly, when we read about the lives of the Christian martyrs and are uplifted by the way in which they held on to their Christian beliefs to the end, despite torture and death, we can be inspired to greater prayer and to pursue a life of sanctity. But once again, as Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. The same goes for the many good works that we may accomplish in the Lord's name. In the same chapter of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus warns us that the measure of a person's holiness lies not in what mighty deeds they performed in God's name, but in the fruit of their life, the evidence of love that they exhibit. Here's what Jesus says about the day of judgment. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. These are strong words, and it would be good for us to take them seriously. What is required in order to get into the kingdom of heaven is not that we perform amazing miracles or that we go about healing people of various diseases or that we are considered wise by those around us or that we are honoured by everyone. Not that these things are bad, but what is required for our own salvation is love. In his first letter, chapter 4, St Peter urges us to love one another. Love, he says, covers over many sins. And he also tells us how to love, not through endearing sentiments or feelings of benevolence towards those around us, but in really practical ways. He continues, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. 
We are being asked to show love through service, and not so that we can be seen to be holy, but with the strength God provides, and so that in all things God may be praised. So it would seem that the way we can get into heaven and avoid eternal damnation is not simply through a life of prayer detached from the rest of humanity, or even through impressive acts done in the power of the Holy Spirit, but through doing God's will by loving God and our neighbour. That love is mostly shown through humble service. Let's finish with a prayer. Lord Jesus, you yourself are the model for how we should live. You sacrificed yourself in humble service and loved from the heart those who came across your path. Help us to put into practice the zeal that we feel for your kingdom by following your example. Give us the grace to seek out those who most need our help and serve them with the strength that you provide. Help us to serve diligently and without hope of praise or reward from those who benefit from our love. And in the end, Lord, lead us and draw us with you into the realms of heavenly light to live with you forever in your glorious kingdom. Amen. We finish this episode with a poem by Brian Fink, Fixing. fixes things in silence, his hunched shoulders angled downward and in, yoked over the bench with a ponderous shrug, elbow propping his hand, propping his chin. He found and fixed up three edgers last fall, and a push mower, and a snowblower that some guy hauled out and left in the thaw, plus an old Sears model 10-inch bench saw. He's one of these guys who can think it out while he tries it. Let's see what this will do. And if it fails, he'll chance a novel route with an easy sigh and a tweak or two. When he's stumped, he'll pause and say, I don't know, son. Pull his cheaters off and wait out the muse while he wipes his hands covered in the stuff a few swipes with an old t-shirt will remove. His sacredest gift is not losing his mind when existence don't work as it were designed. Meantime, I'm an ace at thwarting the dim, training my flashlight at the broke down thing while he stares long at it and I at him. What is it, Pops? What can I bring? This baffling mechanical witchcraft skipped me and passed to my eldest son, who wakes along in his grandfather's draft like an old pro with a trade school to run. He'll stand alongside me and look on near or pour over the manual with care. This goes next, Dad. It shows you how right here. <laughs> Translating the picture 
into a repair. He takes apart and rebuilds things in his head, a providential gift of art and skill. Then he'll ask me, what are you doing, Dad? I don't know, son. But I'm sure grateful you will. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelancing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at corelancing.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.